more time. There is no one like you in the heavens or on the earth. Come on, just lift him up. Lift your hands. Say his name. Say his name. He's awesome. He's powerful. He's holy. He's glorious. And he's for you. He's not against you. Just say his name. He's the king of heaven. He's put all things under his feet. There is nothing that surprises him. He's the Lord of glory. He's the master of all things. Death and hell, fear him. We lay at your feet, God. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We worship the powerful, beautiful name of the Lamb of God. We thank you for your goodness and your glory. Come on, get lift his name up. Just give him a shout of praise. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, you're king. You are over the powers of darkness. You are greater than the power of the devil. You are greater than the power of Satan and his cohorts. We release you into this earth, oh God. Have your way and come and move and have your being. We pray as a unified body. Let your kingdom come. We release you into the earth. We release you into our lives. We release you into our marriages. We release you into our families. We release you into the house of God. We release you to the people of the Lord. Father, we just ask that you come and get your people. Be God in your people. Be God in your people. Show yourself strong, Lord, that the nations will not blaspheme your name anymore. We love you, Father. We thank you, King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, the great I am, Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's the Lord, our banner. He's waving the flag of love over his church. And nothing can defeat us. Nothing can defeat him. We thank you, Father. We worship you. We love you. We honor you. We bless your holy name. We thank you. You love us. We thank you. You love us. We thank you. We rejoice in your love. We rejoice in your love. We rejoice in your love. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. You are too good to us, Lord. We thank you, Father. We worship you. We worship you. We thank you. We worship you. Come on, he's beautiful. He's worthy, worthy, worthy. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Father. We thank you for your church. Rise up like a mighty man in your church, oh God. Dress your people in righteousness. Robe your people, God. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys, so much. Appreciate y'all. You guys can be seated. Isn't he good? Man. Uh, I don't have the ability to overestimate the goodness of the Lord. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate everything they do. And you guys appreciate these guys. They put a lot of time and prayer and effort into seeking the Lord and practicing and trying to stay before his presence. And um, they do that for him first, but then we get blessed by it. Amen. Um, real quick, 
Those of you who are a part of our body, I want to remind you of a couple things before I get started. Uh, if you have children and you want to send them back to kids' classes back there, you can. If you want to keep them with you, that's fine, too. They're a blessing no matter where they are. I don't mind loud kids. Um, I've always said that loud children are better than a wailing parent at a funeral. So they're a blessing. Amen. So um, those of you who are part of our body, I, I, I let you guys know we are going to be starting some um, outreaches here soon at some point. I'll let you guys know more about that. But in case you want to start some of that on your own, we had some, um, I guess, ideas that have already been kind of implemented. But we have some cards back there that are blank. Um, they just have the address of the church and the website, and you're welcome to take those and use those and put your name and your own phone number on them if you're passing them out, if you're trying to talk to people. <clears throat> so that way you have a point of contact to be able to give people information and, uh, and use those. And also, if you're a part of this body here, we have this little book that we put up here for those of you who get dreams, visions, words from the Lord, scriptures, anything you feel like is impressing for, for the body of Christ. Um, you can just, after church here, um, come up here, write it in the book, put your name on it, date it, and we're going to pray over the things the Lord's speaking into us, and then go back and revisit the things that he's spoken in the future. Amen? Amen. All right, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Um, if you're not, if you're a visitor here, we welcome you, and, and uh, um, do you have something? Okay. Um, I just wanted to say... Um, Thank you, Jesus, for coming. I left the stage, and I I just got stuck behind the curtain, and I was like thanking him for his presence and all that he did in hearts this morning all across the room and what he's still going to do. But I never want to be like the nine lepers that got so excited about their healing that they didn't thank him. So, Jesus, I just wanted to come back and say thank you. Thank you for being faithful. And thank you for being a miracle worker that moves hearts like no man can move them. And thank you for coming down and bringing love down and stretching your arms out and dying. Amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Some of you guys need to continue to thank the Lord for stuff you've already been prayed over for. Some, you know, here's the thing. Sometimes, how many of you guys have ever believed for a miracle? And because it didn't happen right away, you kind of quit on it. Do you realize that miracles always come in seed form before they're fully manifest? So anytime you see a miracle happen instantly, miraculously, like right then, it, it didn't happen right then. <laughs> It started way before that, and it began to manifest. And what we call miraculous, instantaneous miracles is what God has been working into the situation for eons. And sometimes people get prayed for a hundred times, and you don't know it, and they come up to the altar and get healed instantly, and you think it was the first time they've ever been prayed for when it's been hundreds of times that they've stayed faithful, calling forth the, the miracle of God in their body. And so you've been prayed for something or been praying for something, continue to thank him for the healing. Continue to thank him for the miracle. Don't, don't waver. 
just because you don't see it, you're not God. The power of your sight is, is absolutely minuscule. He can see, and what he sees is real. Amen? So hold on to those things and thank him. You can make it to Genesis 3. Yeah? All right, I want to talk to you about something this morning I feel like maybe um, you, you think you might know. <laughs> um, those are the most dangerous topics in Christianity is the ones that you think you know because um, that's where we usually miss the Lord on the magnitude of what he's trying to accomplish. And sometimes we settle into what we know to be the gospel, and then we pervert it. So I want to go back to the beginning again. I want to, there's, there's so much in Genesis chapter 3. You know, I could do a massive series just on the restoration of Jesus and everything that happened. And, and I mean, there's just so much. <clears throat> but I want to go there, and I want to, I want to talk to you this morning about um, basically the gospel of Jesus. But I want to title it No Longer Naked, and uh, we can go from there. So verse 1. Genesis 3, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God said you'll not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you will not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, that your eyes will be opened, and you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and ate it. And she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate also. And the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called to Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I've heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree, which I've commanded you that you should not eat? So I want to start with this story, because it's the basis in the beginning of all mankind. And we feel like we know this story, but we don't really see how uh, many times it connects to what God is doing, what God has done for us in Christ. Do you realize that the greatest weapon the enemy has against you as a believer is your love for God? Now you didn't realize that. That's why the silence is in the room, right? <laughs> so you think the enemy is coming after you with lust and greed and perversion. Those are all things that, that happen after, we, after our love's already been manipulated. You with me? So in other words, which is, if you had, I mean, if you think about it logically, which is more dangerous, the spirit of religion or the spirit of perversion? Because the perverted person knows he's wrong, whereas the religious person thinks they're right. One is conscious of sin, the other one's only conscious of itself. They'll both focus on themselves, they both see different things. Does this make sense to you? So Jesus said that I come to those who know they're sick because they need me. But those who aren't sick or don't think they're sick, they won't come to me. You with me? So the greatest thing that the enemy has to use in your life to manipulate you is your love for Jesus. Because in your love for Jesus, if that can be manipulated, he can move you into the religious spirit. Amen. 
if you don't love God, you won't try to work for him. But if you love God, your work for him can be manipulated and perverted. See, it's the reason that you love the Lord is why the enemy has power to get you to believe that you're not enough. See, if you didn't love him, you wouldn't care. You ever, you ever committed a sin as a Christian and thought, man, I don't even know if I'm saved? Anybody? Do you know why you thought that? Because you're saved. See, the old man loves sin. The new man despises it. So the enemy plays upon the despise of the sin that we have in our life to convince us of the reality that we don't possess, that we actually have. You with me? Is that what happened here is that they, Adam and Eve possessed everything, but they were convinced they had nothing. He manipulated their love for God to want to be more like him when they were already as like him as they ever would be. Does this make sense to you? Were, were they sinners? No, they were perfect. True or not? Tell me one thing they lacked. Now, my Bible says you have been given all things for life and godliness. True or not? So tell me what they, whatever you, tell me what you lack. Yet we live the majority of our Christian life in prayer and in service to God as if we lack something still. You know why? Because we're focused on our nakedness. We're focused on what we aren't. Why are we focused on what we aren't? Because we love him. And the enemy uses that love that we have for him to bring condemnation. You know what you and I determine as Christians as a good week versus a bad week? Whether you fell into sin or not. Do you know what God determines a good week versus a bad week? Whether you kept your eyes on him, whether you were perfect or not. But see, if you judge your week by what you do wrong, there's no way for God to empower your week by what he's done right. Are you with me? And so the love that we have for God is the most manipulated thing that the devil can ever use. So since he can't undo the blood, he's going to get you not to believe in its power. Somehow what happens is condemnation is the idea that my sin is greater than God's sacrifice. How many of you guys ever go through a season where you go through a rough patch and you just don't want to come to church because you just feel horrible and nasty and ugly and gross and just like, I'm not there, I'm, not, I'm this horrible person and everything? <clears throat> Do you realize that a heathen doesn't even think that way? Think about that for a minute. They don't, they don't care. They don't want to come to church simply because they don't want God. You don't want to come to church because you're afraid of the one you love. Because you're afraid he's going to judge you. You're afraid you're not good enough. You're afraid that you're going to be seen as naked in his sight. Right? How many love exposure? Anybody love exposure in here? 
If you do, come lay hands on me so I can get your anointing. <laughs> Nobody likes exposure. Do you know why? Because it's not in our nature to have to be exposed. We were born covered with the glory of God. So ask yourself, there's a lot of things that we can touch on here, and I'm not going to go into all those. What I want to talk about is, is that the recognition of the nakedness of man when sin entered. Self-focus. Do you realize that's the epitome or the essence of the religious spirit? Within the religious spirit, the core, the foundational issue of a religious demon is self-focus. Even in righteousness. The pursuit of righteousness with self-focus is religious spirit. You with me? So if the enemy is going to kind of try to rob from someone who loves the Lord, why would he do it to try to convince you that you don't love him? He would actually manipulate the love you have for him to begin to work out something you already possess, keeping you running in the circle. So you're, you're trying to be good for God. And he's just wanting to be good to you. Does that make sense? Okay. They were clothed in the glory of God. Do you see this? See, they realized they were naked. But before that, were they naked or were they not? The Bible says this, that they were created in the image and the likeness of God. There's two different words there. The image and the likeness. They looked like him, but they were also like him. They bore his image and they bore his likeness. So, is God naked? No. He's clothed in what? Does anybody know what he's clothed in? He's clothed in glory. What was man clothed in? If we were made in his image and in his likeness, we were dressed like God. You with me? When they believed something other than the Lord, the glory was taken from them. When we believe something other than him, what is taken from us? Our covering, which is why when we sin, we feel naked. You know why we feel naked? Because the first fruit of that is self-focus. The enemy is always telling you what you're not, what you've lost, what you don't possess, what you don't have, how unlike God you are. True or not? Does that seem believable when it happens? Do you know why? Because it's of self-focus. Do you realize that the religious spirit is empowered by the will of man? outside of the will of God. And self-focus is what is the energy that it uses to propagate itself. Whether in perceived righteousness or perceived failure, both are self-focus. This is why people who are wrong religiously think they're right, and there's no way you can convince them. I've argued with people who have a religious demon before, and you just, you, you, they will not listen. It's like, no, you have to keep all the law. 
all 630 some odd commandments. I'm like, mm, have fun. I can't even keep one of them. I'm not even going to try anymore. You know why? Because he kept them for me. And I find that when I'm clothed in his glory, I find that without realizing I'm keeping his commandments, without even thinking about it. Does this make sense to you? So we were made to be clothed in the glory of God. People say, well, you can't touch the glory. I don't know how I cannot touch it when I'm clothed with it. Jesus prayed that we would be glorified also. Did he not? In John 17, he also prayed that we would be one. I don't know where we get off with this idea, well, you can't touch the glory. I don't want to touch the glory. The glory wants to touch me. And I don't know what to do with that. But if you want to argue with God about it, have at it. <laughs> See, we were made in his image and his likeness. We were clothed with what he's clothed with. Go to Psalm 104. You can turn there if you want, or I'll just read it. 104, Psalm 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Verse 2, you cover yourself with light as a garment, and you stretch out the heavens like a curtain. See, God is covered in glory, majesty, and light. Light so bright you can't even see him. He, the Bible says he dwells in unapproachable light. But the New Testament says that now we can approach the unapproachable. You know why? Because light is the same as light. Darkness cannot approach light, can it not? No, it's swallowed up, true or not. So when the Bible says that we can approach the unapproachable light, it means that we've been made into the same image and clothed, reclothed again in the same thing that he's been clothed in. That we're no longer naked, we are dressed again like God. The same way we were in the beginning through Christ, we dwell with God in light. And light has the right to approach light. Darkness does not. Darkness cannot approach light because it will be swallowed up. You with me? But if we live our life in unbelief and with, with doubt, we are living in darkness. And if we believe and self-focus the thing that's going on in our lives more than what God has said about us, we are living in believing darkness. And then when we try to approach light, what we want, our natural response is to want to pull away. You with me? You watch somebody who's pulling away from the Lord, pulling away from community and pulling away from church. It's because they've believed a lie. Every time. They've believed a lie. And they're living in darkness. As children of light. But they don't believe they're children of light. Therefore, the fruit of their mind is darkness. And you can't convince them it's not darkness because they feel it. But the only reason they feel it is because they believe it. Oh, my goodness. I think I'm going to have to take you through it here. All right? Let me, I mean, before I carry on with this, I want to just give you a quick little testimony. I was about, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. And um, there was a little, it was a, a lust problem in my life as a young man, and I, I, I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to mess with it. I was like, I hated it, didn't want anything to do with it, and I just couldn't beat it. 
And I, knew, I thought, I kept reading the word, and I was like, man, this says I'm free, but I'm not, and this is happening, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I just, I was in torment. You know, and I, and I tried to do everything I could, you know, in, 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 in myself to, to stop and to, to be what I was supposed to be, and it just never worked. And I mean, I was crying out to the Lord and on my face and tears and just tormented. And I remember one day the Holy Spirit said, believe you're free. And I was like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> Thank goodness for the patience of the Lord. And I was like, that's not going to work. He's like, just, you, you confess that you are free. And I was like, well, I don't know what else to do. I've tried everything else. And so I just began to do that. And I just began to confess that I was free. I just began, no, no matter how plagued or how messed I, much I messed up or how much things went wrong. In, in fact, right, right after I would uh, uh, get involved in something I wasn't supposed to be involved with or whatever, I would, just think, I would just stop and say, thank you, Lord, that I'm free from all this. And it just felt like I was li- lying to myself because that's what the devil was telling me. Like, this is, this is a lie. You're, you're a hypocrite. But then you know what happened is is that something started to shift inside of me and I started believing what God said about me more than what the enemy was saying. And then after a minute, what happened is that just all of a sudden things just began to change and I was just like, whoa, I don't feel the same way I did before. And the power of the faith that God gave me to believe in what he said began to overshadow the lie. It didn't happen instantaneously. I wish I could tell you it does, but it doesn't. And then things began to shift. And then I, a few years later, I, was, I had a, a problem with a specific individual. This was many years later. I was pastoring, and, and there was a certain lady that was really giving me a hard time in the church. I mean, she was just a handful. And, I mean, she would really make me mad. And, but I wanted her freedom, but she would just really aggravate me, and she would hurt people, and it was, it was damaging. It was, it was, it was not healthy. And I didn't know what to do. Couldn't stop her. You know, she would just find her way to people and destroy them. (laughs) I mean, you know, outside of just kicking her out of the church, which wasn't really something I could do at the time. And and I just began to ask the Lord. I was like, well, he said, just believe that you're through this. Believe that this is... This is done in you and in others. And I just began to confess that and confess that. And in short, long story short, over time, I totally changed. Everything about how I felt about it, it changed, which gave me the authority to address the situation. How many of you guys know that if you try to address a situation in your own authority, you're going to fail? If you don't feel like Christ feels about a certain situation, you don't have the authority or you're not exercising the authority you have to be able to address the situation like Christ would address it. So first of the times, when things happen that are wrong in your life, that's the cue from God to get his mindset on it so that you can have the authority to address it. But when we don't have that, we're not accessing it because we're not believing. We're trying to address the situation, and it blows up in our face, and then we wonder why it blew up. It blows, it's blowing up because you don't feel about the situation the way God does. You feel about the situation the way you feel. And you're trying to get God to feel the way you feel. And he's not going to do that. He doesn't change. You and I have to. Does it make sense to you? So many times we don't walk in our, our God-given authority because we're trying to convince Jesus to feel about a situation the way we want to. And that's basically asking God to come and join our pity party. Does it make sense to you? Okay. So darkness stole the attire of God from Adam. 
You with me? Man gave his authority, his glory, his majesty, his ruler, his, his reign to, to, to Satan. And man became aware that he was no longer like God. But we know that, according to Psalm 104, that God is clothed in light. So what are we supposed to be clothed in? The same thing. And when the devil tells us through sins, making sure that's plural, because I'm going to go somewhere with that later on, through sins that we've committed, he convinces us because we've committed those sins that we're no longer like God and that we're walking in darkness. You with me? The nature of God and the nature of sin are completely opposite. You with me? Keep that in mind. See, in Adam we lost our honor, our majesty, and light. Everything Jesus did in the flesh. Everything he did in the flesh. See, we read the Bible as if Jesus was this great superstar who came in and just let us out of sin, and after that point it's all up to us. And he just left, and you're like, well, you know, sucks to be you. You're on your own. I'll send the Holy Spirit. But we don't even know what that is, what he is anymore. And he, you know, that's how we feel about it sometimes. We're just like, God's out up there, and we're down here, and we're just trying to scrap out a spiritual living. That's such a lie. That's walking in darkness. Because you don't believe he's with you. Why don't you believe he's with you? Because of how you respond and react to situations. You think you're more powerful than he is. Now, you wouldn't tell me that, but that's how we live. Are you with me so far? Okay, go to Matthew chapter 17. Everything Jesus did in the flesh was significant to our restoration. Jesus didn't do anything uh, without it meaning something. Everything he did was for the point of restoring mankind back to his original uh, position. So everything that happened to him, we look at what happened to him and think, oh, that was Jesus, that was so awesome, that was so powerful. One day, maybe I'll be like that, you know? And he used to read this story going, man, it would be awesome to have been there. When I was, so were you. So Matthew 17, it says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and his brother and brought them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And his face shined as the sun and his raiment, his clothing was white as light. Why did that happen? Because in the flesh, Jesus had to restore to us what was taken from us in the flesh. He couldn't restore to us the things that were taken from us in spirit. They were lost in the flesh. They had to be regained in the flesh. So when he went up on that mountain, right? When he went up on that mountain, and many that, that was pretty sure, um, what was that? Uh, help me, help me. Um, oh my goodness, my mind just went blank. This is the same place in which the Bible says that the sons of God came down. In Genesis 6, I believe. Yeah, so I'll get it here in a minute. This is the same place in which supposedly man lost his dignity and his identity when, when everything changed and there was a bunch of sin that came into the earth and God had to restore all that stuff. I'm not going to go into the history of all that. However, Jesus goes to that exact same, same place and he restores not only the power of man but also the powers of becoming a son of God because this is where the sons of God came down to the earth. He, he restores that ability um, to, rest, to redeem mankind in that position. 
And so when he comes down to this place right here, he was transfigured. He, his, his, his whole countenance changed. Why? Because he was showing to us what he was going to remake us into the image of. He lost his earthly image, and they saw something that they'd never seen before. This is how he really looked all the time. But he had to clothe and cloak himself almost in a way because we couldn't handle this type of image constantly. He only took three people to the top of this mountain, and he showed them what he really was. Why? Because if he shows them who he really is uh, without somebody seeing it, we're not going to understand this. And so when these guys see it, they, un- they, they, don't, they don't even understand what's happening right now, that they're being taught and shown what they are supposed to look like in the new man. Clothed in light. No longer naked. Dressed the same way that Jesus was. And Jesus met with Moses and Elijah on this mountain. And on Luke's gospel, I believe it says that he talked with them concerning his death. In other words, he, he fulfilled, he looked at the law who was represented by Moses and he looked at him and said, I'm going to restore and redeem everything that he, they couldn't keep. And he looked at the prophets and said, I'm going, to, I'm going to keep and fulfill everything that God said that they're going to be. And in me, both are going to have satisfaction. And I'm going to show you, Peter, James, and John, what you're going to look like on the inside when I get done with you. Clothed in light. You with me? So after six days, he took some, he's transfigured before him. His face shined in the sun, and his clothing was white as light. Let me ask you a question. How does God see you? Why does he see you the same way? Because you had a good week? Because you managed to dot your I's and cross your T's and mind your P's and Q's? Or because of what Jesus did? So, so that means what Jesus did trumps what you do wrong. Every day. Every week. Every month. Every year. Then why are you and I believing the power of our sin in our life? Because when you walk in that kind of darkness, you don't feel the right to approach God in light. You with me? Is everybody with me so far? So this is the idea. Jesus did this not for himself, but for... Why? Because he had to redeem mankind, not just on the cross, but he also had to clothe mankind, and he did that here. What, you were, what was taken from you, I'll give you back. See, right here is what he's saying is no longer are you, are you dressed with animal skins. No longer you are you dressed with the things that were the consequence of your sin. I'm taking that off of you. And I'm clothing you with what I wear. You ever wonder why in, the, in Revelation it talks about us having a robe of righteousness? You know whose robe that is? It's his. <laughs> when you put that robe on, you know who you look like? Him. How do you put that robe on? By faith. You mean, well, yeah, but what do, I, what do I have to do to put it on? You just believe. You believe you have it on. Well, well, but I have to, there's something I have to do, though, right? You, know, you just believe. Well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, then, then you're not dressed in righteousness. But it can't be that simple. No, it is that simple. There's got to be more to it. No, that's because you're familiar with the religious spirit. Self-focus. What you think you have to do, what you think you have to believe, what you think you have to obey, what you think you have to perform, what you think you have to come to, what you think you have to grow into the image of. Look, it was either Jesus did it all, or we still have a lot to do. 
but brother, you gotta, you got to have works. Let me tell you something. When you are made into the image of Jesus by faith and you believe who you are, there will be works just flowing out of you. Works don't flow out of people who are under bondage. In fact, the only works that flow out of people that are under bondage is building the kingdom of darkness. Just like the Israelites did in in Egypt where they were forced to build the kingdom of Pharaoh, the people of God are willingly, through unbelief, building the kingdom of darkness in this earth and in the church. They're slogging it out in the miry pits of self-focus and self-recognition and self-this and self-that, praying to God as beggars to be delivered from something that Jesus already finished. Do you know why the religious spirit has power in the church today? Because it makes people money and it makes people dependent upon a man behind a box that I can get you feeling like you're not good enough so you have to come back. Do you know what the power of love does? It frees you so you don't have to come back, but you want to. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. 2 Peter 1, 17, it says, For he received from God, this is Jesus, Jesus received from the Father honor and glory. True or not? That's what it says. He received from the Father honor and glory. What is God clothed with? Glory, glory honor, and light, majesty. Jesus received from the Father what? Glory and honor. Are we made in his image or not? So then what did we receive from the Father? Honor and glory. How does God see you? Do you realize that if you sin, and immediately after you sin, you believe in the righteousness of Christ, and you believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, that immediately you are clothed with what? Honor and glory. But I don't feel like it. Does that mean it's not true? Does that mean just because you don't feel like it, all of a sudden you have the power and authority to call God a liar? But that's what you do. Well, I don't feel like it. doesn't matter how you feel. It matters how God feels about you. Well, are you saying we can just go sin? No, I'm saying that people who just want to go sin aren't saved. People who hate their sin are the ones who are more born again than anybody else. The fact that the devil can lie to you and manipulate your love for God means that you are saved, but he's just not telling you that part of it. He's not telling you that the reason I have the influence over you is because you love God. And you don't want to be like that, and I'm manipulating that in your life, and I love it when you believe the manipulation. For he received from God the Father honor and glory... When there came such a voice from heaven to him, from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the same story that we just read in Matthew 17, verse 16. It says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because we were witnesses of his majesty. See, what he received here was received on behalf of all mankind. Did all mankind deserve this? No. 
Did you deserve to have yourself clothed in light when you were an enemy of God? No. But it's a gift, true or not? But how many of you guys know that a gift has to be utilized? And you have the power to either put it on or take it off. If I give you my coat, you can boast all day long of the fact that you have my coat. But if you never wear it, you're never clothed in what I'm clothed with. You have the right to take it off. And every time you take it off, the devil tells you that you don't deserve the gift, even though it's in your closet. Does that make sense to you? In John 8, 54, Jesus says this. He says, I, if I don't honor myself, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. We're talking about what he's clothed with. You with me? If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It's my father that honors or clothes me. Of whom the, that you say that he's your God. In John 12, 26, it says, if any man serves me, Jesus is talking here. If any man serves me, let him follow me. That's the invitation. Follow me. But I'm a sinner. I didn't ask you if you were a sinner. I asked you to follow me. But I'm not right. I'm not. And I, and I, and I, I didn't ask you all those things. I asked you to follow me. But I don't feel worthy. You're not. I am. Follow me. I am the human by which God judges all that believe me. Do you see that? See, God clothed Jesus in honor, and Jesus was restoring the original position of, man, of God to us. If any man served me, John 12, 26, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serves me, guess what he's, he's, listen to this. Then my father will honor him. Do you see what he says there? If you follow me where I am, there you are. And if you serve me, my father will honor you the same way he honors me. How many of you want to be clothed in honor? Do you realize you can be clothed in honor right after you commit sins? Do you know why? You know why you can do that? Because a human named Jesus Christ of Nazareth has eternal blood and it never runs dry. So the devil wants you to get caught in the fact that, well, you're a Christian, you shouldn't have done this. And so therefore you don't have the right and you're going to have to slog it out and pay for your own crimes for the next two weeks with self-pity and rejection and self-hate and self-focus somehow finally maybe coming to some penance that God won't receive. And then you wonder why you don't feel good about yourself. You know, I, I've seen, you know, even drug addicts who get saved and then they have a relapse and then they think, I must not be, I must not be right. And then some of them end up killing themselves because they believe the lie. 
But you realize that the fact that they had that thought, I must not be right, means that they were born again. They were just young. Because if they, if they didn't have that thought, they would have loved their sin. They would have said, I hate God, and I love my sin, and I want more of it. But the fact that they were grieved over it means that they had something dwelling inside of them that caused them to want to cry out to God but didn't feel worthy of it. And the shame and the lie caused them to run to darkness instead of light because they didn't believe the gospel that was put inside them. Am I okaying drugs? Absolutely not. That's the point. You're not okay with it. That's the point. I had somebody come to me one time just plagued over the issue of lust also, a young man. And he was just bawling his eyes out in my office. And he was like, I can't beat it, man. And I said, it's not your job to. And I said, let me ask you a question. Simple question. Do you hate your sin? He said, oh, God, I hate it so much. I said, you're okay. That's the life of God inside of you. And I promise you, the life of God will win if you just let him. You with me? First Thessalonians 4.3. Listen to this. First Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God. Everybody's like, oh, what's the will of God for my life? I don't know. Seems like the Bible says something about it. Maybe if we read it, like Miss Charlene was talking about, we might not have so many questions. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. What does that mean? It means being set aside for one specific use. Do you realize why we don't know the will of God? Because we're set aside for a different use. We're setting ourselves aside for the power of unbelief. And we're being used by unbelief. And when we're being used by darkness and unbelief and doubt, we have no clue what the will of God is for our life. Because the will of God for our life is being set aside for him. You with me? But let me ask you this. Who does the sanctifying? This is the will of God for your life, your sanctification. Well, how do you get sanctified? That you should stay in fornication, that every one of you should know how to, p- to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. What is he saying here? He's not, t- he's not talking from the standpoint of you having to get something. He's, he's talking from the standpoint of you holding on to what you have. That you should know how to possess, to hold, to keep, to own, to fill. What? What's the next verse? To possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. How to hold on to the light and the honor God has given you. This is the will of God. To know how to hold on to the clothing he's put on you to possess it, to hold on to it, to believe what he's done for you and to hold on to it. This is the will of God for your life, to believe the power of sanctification, his work in your life, your job is to hold on to it. Not to produce it, but to hold on to it. But do you realize that this goes into the fact that we can even come to to a point where we don't get healed and we still operate in darkness? Well, I'm not healed. Which person are you talking about the one he crucified or the one he raised from the dead because the one he raised from the dead is not sick which one are you identifying with 
If you're identifying with the, what you see in your flesh, then you are walking in darkness, which is probably why you're not healed because you haven't given the healing, the authority to possess you. And I'm not saying you have weak faith. You have faith. You're just using your faith in unbelief. You're giving your faith to the devil. And he's working sickness and disease in your body. Okay, I'll move on. We'll try to find something more interesting. All right. The next, the, okay, let's, 2 Timothy 2, 21. Paul lists some things before that, which I don't have time to go into. He says, if any man purge himself from these things, then he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and ready for the master's use, prepared for every good work. How do you purge yourself from these things that he's talking about? Through the blood of Jesus. Just believe. You know why we quit believing? Because we feel too much. Uh, y'all worship your feelings way more than you care to admit. I'm sorry, I'll step on a few toes. My wife, she aggravates me so much. She doesn't aggravate Jesus. My husband, I could just strangle him. God doesn't want to do that. I just feel so like I'm just so I'm nothing. Nobody wants to, nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go eat worms. You know, when Jesus said, be it unto you according to your faith, he meant that. Do you know why you feel so depressed? Because you believe the power of depression. Do you know why you're saved? Because at one point in your life, you believed the gospel. What you believe gives you the authority. But I don't see it. See, the power of believing the lie stripped Adam and Eve from the covering of the Lord, did it not? See, when you believe the same lie, even though God's clothed you in light, when you believe the same lie, what are you stripped of? The same thing. The only good thing about it is, is that because we're in the New Testament and because Jesus is the man of all men, he has the power to hold on to light when it can't be taken from him. So the moment our faith comes back to him, he just robes us right into what we were taken off. Instant. What does the Bible say? If you confess your sins, he's what? Faithful and just to forgive. But how many of you guys have tried to do that and you just don't feel forgiven? Who says you were going to? Show me one place in the Bible where it says you're going to feel forgiven. Show it to me. It ain't there. In fact, my Bible says that if our hearts condemn us, God's greater than our heart. Uh, Thank you, Master. 
So that their eyes were open, but not to the glory of God, but to the nakedness of themselves. But you realize that's what we call most of Christianity is just absolute self-focus, and we write tons of books on it, and we have seminars and conferences to be able to get people to feel better about themselves, and it's not the gospel of Jesus. You know why people go to visit these big, big shot healers and all this type of stuff is because they don't believe they have the power to heal. That's simple. They think, they, oh, if I can just go up there and get that guy to lay hands on me. Listen to me. The greatest man in the world lives inside of you. And you want to go get laid, hands laid on by somebody who isn't the king of kings? I'm not, I'm not against the laying on of hands. But when you approach the situation as if you don't have something, then you don't have something. But I don't see it. We'll keep doing it. Maybe you will. Go read one of Jesus' parables and figure out that most of his parables are always sown and talked about in progression. The kingdom of heaven is like unto, like unto, like unto. And it's always this thing that's you know, starting small and growing big. Did you forget that? Like all of a sudden you want to be like, you know, the spiritual incredible Hulk immediately? I mean, I've known people who were two months saved and got people out of wheelchairs. It's not because they were walked with Jesus for 25 years. Walking with Jesus for 25 years doesn't give you the power to heal. It gives you wisdom. A lady come to me, she's like, she, she was rather overweight and struggled with it and hated it and wanted to change. And, and she felt like God put a healing anointing on her life. She's like, I can't pray for people in my condition. I said, you better pray for people in your condition. Because the gift of God's not conditional upon what you do or what you don't or what you have or what you don't have. It's conditional upon what he's put inside of you. And if you believe that your external circumstances stops what God puts inside of you, guess what makes it so? You. God honors your unbelief. You need to hear that again. God honors your unbelief. He empowers it. He backs it. Because it's what you choose. And he's a gentleman. He's not going to override you. You with me? All right. First John chapter 4, verse 15. Oh, man. I'm going to blame it on the worship team for going too long. <laughs> Whoever shall confess Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. Is that what your Bible says? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. Do you understand that means dual possession? He's possessed by me and I'm possessed by him. He possesses me and I possess him. It would be a problem if there was only a one-way street. I possessed him. That's dangerous. You with me? He possesses me, I possess him. Whoever believes, what does it say? Whoever believes and confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him. Does God dwell in you? What happens, does God dwell in you even after you sin? Are you sure? How come you don't act like it then? See, it's easy to tell me but right after you get done screwing up and chewing your wife's head off, you don't feel very spiritual. That's because you're trying to please a religious demon. Do you realize the power of humility? 
Jesus defined himself in, 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 in Matthew 11. The only time he defined himself, I'm meek and lowly in heart. You realize that every time you screw up, you have the, you have the ability right then and there to be just like Jesus. Oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Do you realize what happened? Instantly, you're clothed in light. In that moment, you can be no more like him. Do you see what God did? He took even the failures of being able to walk with him in perfection and gave you in that failure the ability to be just like him. But you know what we focus on? The failure, not the opportunity for humility. Because we're, our eyes are open to what? Our nakedness. I screwed up again. See, it's amazing. There's a lot of really spiritual people in this place. A lot of people who walk with God for a long time. But this is actually encouraging you. Do you know why? Because you don't encourage yourself in the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's just good news. You can't lose. If you read the Bible the way it's actually put, you can't lose. But they didn't get healed. Then pray for them again. But they died. Well, then they're free. You can't lose. Well, they didn't, they didn't accept Jesus. That's their choice. That doesn't mean you're the loser. Does this make sense to you? Verse John 4, 16. And we know that we believed the love of God that he has toward us. We've known and we've believed the love that God has toward us. We've known and we've believed. We've known and we've believed the love that he has toward us. We've known it and we believe it. The problem is, is when you sin, you stop believing it. We've known and believed that the love that God has for us. God is love, right? And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God dwells in him. This is how we know our love is made perfect, right? This is our love, that we might have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because as he is, what does it say? Next verse. As he is, so are we in this world. This is why I don't buy into the sweet by and by, like one day I'll be like Jesus. I don't know where that came from. I think there's just in this incessant religious thing that wants to keep us churning and working for what we possess because the devil got into the church and the church didn't get into the devil's kingdom. As he is, so are we in this world. Well, I just want to be like Jesus. Who says you're not? You do. If you want to spend your whole Christian life focused on how naked you are, you will always find something wrong with you. God spoke to me many, many years ago, and I use this all the time, but he said to me, Chad, you'll never be a good enough Christian for the devil. And so you know what? When he spoke that to me, I decided to, to quit trying. Because see, that's what most of you guys are doing. You're trying to pacify a religious spirit. That's inside of you. That you have to be good enough. You got to be. You don't need that. You. You know. You. You used to be this, and you used to be that, and usually, you know, you had. You, you were this, and you were that, and now you're doing this, and now you're doing that, and you. And, well, I, I got to fix all that so I can feel better about myself, so I can actually feel like I'm, I'm spiritual and holy and righteous, like, like like it depends on you. 
See, Jesus clothed himself in light, so that way whoever's in him is naturally already clothed in light. You with me? Hey, Tyler, do me a favor. Turn these lights up as bright as they'll go just for a second. Where'd the darkness go? Why? Who controls the light? Not Tyler. (laughs) Who controls the light? God does. You can turn them back down if you want, whatever you need. Who controls the light? So when light comes, what happens to darkness? Flees. If you're walking in darkness and you're one with darkness, what happens when the light gets turned on? You go with it. You go with darkness. You run from God. Genesis 3. They hid themselves in the bushes where it's dark. Why? Because they felt comfortable there. They felt one there. They felt unity there with what they believed that was of their life. Whose responsibility is it to bring light? God's. How do you know that? Because my Bible says that when Jesus came, light sprung up in darkness, and the people who sat in darkness saw a great light. Why? Because he was coming to redeem mankind and take darkness away. Whose job is it to take darkness away? His. Does this make sense to you? Oh, I think this is good news. I don't know. You guys... 1 John 1, 5, then this is the message which we've heard. This is what we declare to you, that God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with God and we live in darkness, we lie and we don't do the truth. We think that's talking about sin. It's talking about unbelief. If you walk in darkness, the words live there means walk or live. Walk means live. It means how you live your life. If you live in darkness, if you live in unbelief, if you live in unbelief of the cross and you're trying to work in performance and churchism and all this religious stuff, then you're walking in a lie. You're living in a lie. And you're not doing truth, even though it seems like you are. Right? So if we live in darkness... Not immoral sin, though that, that can apply to that. I'm not saying immoral sin isn't walking in darkness, because it is. But if we live in the power of the lie that we're aren't, we are not like him, and that we have to be something before we're made right with him, then we're not walking in the light. You with me? Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, if we live in the light, if we believe the light, if we live as if he lives because we believe that he's lived for us, what happens? Then we have fellowship with one another. Anywhere you see division, you're seeing people who are not walking in light. They're walking in darkness. And it says, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You with me? All sin. Does it say all sin in your Bible? Does that mean past sin only? Present sin? Future sin? Do you realize that there's forgiveness for the things you haven't even done yet? Why are you afraid of sin then? Why, why, why do you let it wreck your week like you did something wrong? Like, oh my gosh. I promise you, if you'll stop, right after you get done messing up or whatever it is you've done, you just say, thank you, Holy Spirit. This isn't about me. 
It's amazing. He will actually show up. He will. See, I quoted earlier Matthew, uh, Matthew 4, 16, people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has sprung up. John 1, 4, in him was life. The life was the light of men, clothed in light, no longer naked. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not understand it. When you get walking in darkness, you lose sight of understanding God, his intention, his purpose, his, his vision for you, everything. You walk in confusion because you're not made for darkness. Does this make sense? Well, I'm just confused. Anybody ever says that to you, it's because they're not believing the simple gospel of Jesus. Somewhere deep inside there, they don't believe he loves them because of something they've done or something they couldn't be. It's not, it's not complicated. The carnal mind can't understand the simplicity of light. Light has come. Has it not? See, darkness can't produce its own light, can it? It can only free, flee from light. So when you're walking in darkness, if you're trying to produce your own light, guess what's going to happen? Nothing. You can't produce your own repentance. You can't produce all these other things. You can't produce anything. All you can do is either come to the light or run, run from it. And if you want to try to improve upon the cross of Jesus, have at it. So when the light came, did it, did it come because of understanding? Did it come because, you know, you were morally good and proper and pure? Or did it come because he just wanted you? You with me? So too many Christians are trying to make sense of the shadow of death when they're continuing to, to, to live in light. God clothed you in light. Hmm. You need to become this word, not know this word. And the only way that's going to happen is if you get on your face and spend time with him and believe what he said about you. Because me preaching you to this, you're going to forget this sermon by Thursday. I promise. Or probably sooner. Colossians 1.21, and you that were sometimes alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, he is now reconciled. You who were alienated in, as, as enemies in your mind. Do you realize that the mind alienated from God, that's what needs to be renewed? Jesus says, renew your mind. Why do we renew our mind? Because our minds are the ones that were alienated from God, separated from God, foreign species from the, from the Lord. You with me? Jesus came up as a new species of humanity. The word there is prototype. We are the prototype of God in Christ, a new species. Nothing was ever created new from Genesis until Jesus. Jesus was the first thing that was newly created from the beginning. And we are born in him, which means we're a whole different species of humanity. Whole different species, which means our new man isn't subject to the old thing. Which means if you walk in unbelief, that new man cannot operate that way. He was born for the blood of God. The new man longs for and craves the blood of Jesus. The old man does not. He despises the blood. Is with me? We have the mind of Christ, which means we've been made new in our mind. And we need to know first and foremost that we are not and no longer alienated from him. If anything inside of your life ever happens that makes you feel alienated from God, it is from the devil. Period. That word reconciled means changed completely. That you've been reconciled to God. You've been changed completely in the eyes of Father. You guys bored? Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death is how all this happened. Not because you did something good, not because of this or that. In the body of his flesh, what happened to him happened to you. 
You died on that cross and you also raised from that grave. Therefore, reckon yourselves dead to sin, which is the nature, and give yourselves alive to God. In Romans, there's two words there, sins and sin. And it's specifically done that way for a reason. Because sin is the nature of sin, the want, the drive, the desire, the lust of. It's the person of death. And it says Jesus crucified the nature of sin. But you realize that there are sins that are just actions that are outside of the nature of God? And the reason that we are so confused is because we equate sins with sin and we believe we actually still have the nature and because we believe we have the nature, that nature begins to manifest itself. You know what the cross did? The cross, follow me now, removed sin. The blood forgives sins. So tell me what you have to worry about. The nature has been removed, which means why you sin is why you're so upset. You don't like it. You don't want it. You feel plagued. You feel convicted. Why? Because the nature inside of you is saying, I crucified that man. Come to the blood and I'll set you free again. Well, we don't do that. We confuse the sins with the nature and think, I must not be a Christian. Why? Because that's what the devil tells you. And he'll send you on this spiritual journey to come into something you already possess. And you'll search church to church and conference to conference and person to person, anointing to anointing to get to feel peace inside of you. And the Bible says that we've been made, we've been given that peace has been made through his cross. In verse 23, now here's the, here's the, see, they, well, there's gotta be, there's gotta be like, you know, a requirement. There is, but it's just not what you think. There's a requirement to all this. You know what the requirement is? The next verse, verse 23. If you continue in faith. Did you read that? It doesn't mean you have to do something. It just means you have to continue believing the something that's been given. In other words, if you step out of faith into unbelief, all this thing that has been, has been said about you is actually true, but it's not true for you. Not because it's not true, but because you've chosen it not to be true for you. Are you with me? Uh, that God, that Jesus, verse 22, Jesus presented you holy and unblameable, unreproachable, unconvicted uh, in his sight. In other words, he, he drug you before the Father and he said, he's innocent, he's pure, he's holy, and he's righteous. Why? Because he did something great for himself? No, because I put him here and he's in me. All this is possible if you work really hard and, and, and make it through the week without sinning. If you believe. What happens if you don't believe? Then you gain no access to everything that he has done. If your vision goes to your nakedness, you miss your identity. But every time we sin, we're just... God, we're so freaking knee-jerk reaction just to, oh, my sin, my sin, my nakedness, my, my this, my that, my, the power of the devil, the power of the devil, the power of the demon, the power of, of, of the assignment of hell, oh my God. I, I, I just don't see Jesus walking around that way. Brother, we gotta, we gotta pray against principalities. No, you wrestle with them. What does that mean? 
When it tries to tell you that you're not what he says you are, you just tell it no. That's what wrestling is. No, you're a liar. I am truth. No, Jesus is truth. We're one. I'm sorry. Take it up with him. You get super confused about who Jesus put to death and who he, gave, who he raised to life in your life. You get super confused. You think that, that the thing that's going wrong in your life and all the things that are wrong are who you really are. Have you guys ever gotten like maybe, of course I don't have any hair, but have you ever gotten a haircut or something like that and you're not really sure about it and you're like, man, I don't really know how it looks. And you're kind of waiting for people to say something and you're kind of like, hmm. And you know, and they're like, man, and then somebody's like, oh, what did you do to your hair? And you're like, oh no. And they have convinced you of a truth that you weren't sure about. And now you hate it because somebody else does. This is the gospel. You're not convinced of it. And the devil comes to you and says, what did you do? You just screwed up. You just messed everything up. And you're like, oh no. Sure not. See, we, the power of our faith actually brings the reality of what we say we like and don't like. When we're like, oh, I'm just, I, I don't care what people think. And when we really do, because we, we're made to care what God thinks. The problem is, is that God already told us what he thinks and we just still don't believe it. But if somebody comes up to you and is like, oh man, I really love that haircut, that's awesome. You're like, oh. Jesus walks up to you and says, you know what, that new nature I put on, side of, on you, it looks really awesome. You look like me. See, if you continue in the faith is the promise. Can you, we, we picture ourselves like being drugged before the court of God and, and God going, guilty. <laughs> and Jesus pictures us being drugged before the court of God and him going, innocent. Like your sin determines the verdict. No, his blood determines the verdict. Is you with me? Second Corinthians 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith. Being justified by Faith, we have what? Peace with God through Jesus. By faith. What if I just sinned? Makes no difference. There's blood. I said this one time, that Christians spend their entire life trying not to use the blood of Jesus. Good for you. You're so holy. I want to be saturated with it, covered with it. I want to be so dripping with it when the devil looks at me, you can't tell if it's him or me. Amen. You with me? Yeah. 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. We look at God as like this big angry grandpa up there, and then he has to, Jesus has to be like playing defense, and like, oh, no, don't kill him all, God. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In other words, you have the right to go out and tell everybody else, you're forgiven. 
Only God can forgive sins. Yeah, I know. And he come tell me to tell you. Because we are the ambassadors. We speak for Christ as though God is beseeching you himself. That's what it says. Verse 20. It's as if God is talking to you himself. I'm here to tell you, you're forgiven. But what about my, you're forgiven. But I, no, you're forgiven. You are innocent in the blood of Jesus. You want to bow and worship an idol called a good week. I want something that makes me who I am regardless of how my week runs. That at any point I can stop and go, what are you thinking? You're not an alien. You're, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You are born again with a new DNA and spirit. You possess all things for life and godliness. There's nothing he's withheld with you. You have the Holy Spirit as a down payment for your inheritance. And you're an ambassador to tell everybody else of the same good news. Yes. You know why our good news doesn't work out there? Because we don't believe it ourselves. For he has made Jesus to be sin, the nature, for us. And this man knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you realize if that statement right there wasn't in the Bible, modern people would say that's blasphemy? That we are the righteousness of God? If that statement wasn't in the Bible, it still would be true. Do you understand that? It still would be true. But if somebody actually stood up and said, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, you'd be like, man, that guy's arrogant. See, the, the religious spirit won't even let you be what you're supposed to be because it doesn't want you to be. And the moment you start trying to be, it's going it's to brand you as arrogant. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, you can't be because you're a sinner. No, I'm a son. No, you're a sinner. No, I'm a son. But you sin, right? No, the nature's been crucified. Yeah, but you commit sins. Yeah, but I have the blood. But, but, you, but, you, but, you, but, but you still do things wrong. No, I don't, because whenever they're forgiven, they're forgotten. Amen. Go to God and tell him one thing I've done wrong. Super cool story. I'm not a Catholic, but there was a lady up in Italy who, who was claiming to see visions of Jesus. Like, I mean, he's like, she was talking to him and he was telling her things and people would come and she would tell him and then they were like, you know, crazy stuff. And then so finally got back to, to a high-ranking cardinal in the, in the Vatican and he come and he was like, well, I got to check this out. So he goes and talks to this lady and he's like, you know what? I don't believe anything that's happening right here, but I want you to tell me this. He's like, all right, if, if you're really seeing Jesus, I am going to go to confession next week. And I want, when I come back, I want you to tell me, ask him what I, what I confessed. And I want you to tell me what I confess, and I'll know that you've really seen him or not. So she waits. He comes back. He says, okay, what did I confess? And she said, he told me to tell you he doesn't remember. But, but you sin. You do things wrong. No, I don't. I haven't. It's, it's, it's as if I, the blood makes it as if I've never committed the crime. Do you understand that? See, you remember your sin, God does not. That's the problem. You haven't renewed your mind to go that I just confessed that he's faithful and just to forgive, which means it's as if it never occurred. Why don't we live like this? 
Because you have a religious influence over your life that tells you you have to do something to pay for your own crimes. In the American church, we have enough grace to get saved, but not enough to actually continue walking with him. How many of you guys, under, this is helping you, and you've been saved a long time? Because <laughs> we forget this. Like a few of you are like, I ain't raising my hand. I don't know a person in this room that lives like this every week. Because we're more familiar with the lie. We're more familiar with our sickness and our shortcomings and our failures and our fears. And we identify ourselves with those. I'm sorry I'm keeping you long. Are you okay? I'm just going to try to run through this. Hebrews 11:24. by faith, faith, by faith, by faith, Moses. Those two words don't go together. He's the law man. He's the law guy. By faith, by faith, by faith, Moses. By faith, Moses. When he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's so good. By faith, I refuse to be called the old man. By faith, I refuse to be identified with Pharaoh and Egypt and sin and darkness. By faith, I refuse. Even if I just had done it, I refuse to identify myself as the son of Pharaoh. I refuse. Do you understand that? By faith, he refused. You guys need to know that. Uh, he refused by faith. Uh, I don't know. I can't make it any better than that. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer the afflictions with people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. See, see the new nature would rather, he would, he would rather suffer than sin which is what the devil plays on in your, mind, in, in your life. Sure or not? See, you don't want to sin. How many here want to sin? Anybody want to sin? Anybody want to you know, mess with this whole thing and try to screw it all up? Anybody want to do that? No? No? So what happens here? He says he'd, the new nature would rather suffer than sin. And that, the devil read that verse and he's like, oh, huh. I'll make them suffer under religion because the new nature doesn't want to sin, but I'll make them suffer under religion to try to gain the salvation that, they're trying, that they already have. And so he takes that natural desire in you to rather suffer, suffer for your sins than sin, and he uses that against you. Oh, my gosh. Pharaoh, no, I'm not your son. I was born in your house. Yeah, I was raised by you. Yeah, but you know what? I'm not yours. I was born from a different line. Some of you guys are going through hard times and you don't understand the fact that God has to raise people in Pharaoh's house so that they have the authority to deliver others from the same house. People think, well, you know, the reason I'm, I'm halfway decent at what I do is because I grew up in the same junk that you believe, and I realized this is junk, and I don't want it anymore, and I figured out how to set people free from it. No, that's Jesus. No, it's me and him. I'm an ambassador. I get to work with him, not for him. Ah, oh, so much religious junk. 
Do you understand the enemy knows that you'd rather suffer than sin? Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and the treasures of, this, of Egypt, he had respect under the recompense of reward. Listen to this, verse 27. By faith, he forsook Egypt. What does Egypt represent? Have y'all never read this verse? By faith, he forsook the old nature, the old sins, the old man, the old sins, all this. By faith, he forsook it. How do you, how do you forsake it? By faith by, by, or by being good enough? How do, you, how do you forsake it? By faith. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Why? Because he endured as seeing one, him who was invisible. There's a difference between when you view yourself and your nakedness versus you view him who is invisible. By faith, we see him who is invisible. We don't see the nakedness of our flesh because we're clothed with light. We're no longer naked. You are no longer naked. Does it make sense? We endure as seeing him who is invisible. Sorry I kept you long. I just want to give a minute. If anybody in here needs to get saved, if anybody in here needs to be born again, if anybody in here needs to be right with God, then I'm asking you to come forward and we're going to pray for you. Because the gospel is not legalism. Jesus wants you. He longs for you. And if you're not walking with him, it means you're walking in darkness. And you were not made for it, and you know you're not made for it. That's why your heart's screaming inside of you. And when you get into sins, you have been believing the lie that you are the sin, and you are not your sin. You are a son or a daughter of of Jesus. What determines the reality and the truth is what you believe. By faith, we forsake Egypt. Amen. If anybody needs a touch from the Lord, just come forward now. There's a couple people. I know they're here. Please come. Don't miss your moment. Just because of what people are going to. Who cares what people think? It is God. It is God who whose opinion you need to worry about. And he said, I'm going to drag you before the throne and I'm going to present you to my father and I'm going to present you blameless because you believe. Amen? Stand to your feet. And there's somebody else in here. Don't let me call you out. Let's get a couple of ladies and a couple of guys from the church here and just come pray for these two here. I'm sorry, ma'am, what's your name? Yeah, what's your name? Yeah, I'm sorry. Sharon? Shara, would you come forward? I just see how much God loves you. Like, it's really crazy. Ariel, you can pray for her. That's Ariel. She's pretty awesome. God loves you so much. You guys just begin to worship the Lord and just begin to pray for these up here. God wants to restore your spirit. 
He wants to pull all the, the stuff off of you. This is just stuff. This, we, we, this, you know why that song was so powerful this morning about here's where I laid it all down? Because this is, this is where you laid it all down. You just let it go. You're like, I'm done with all this stuff. I'm done with the thought process. I'm done with all the junk. I'm done with the sin. I'm done with identifying myself falsely. Uh, by faith, I'm forsaking Egypt and forsaking uh, the, the wrath of the king of, 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 of this world. This is where I lay it down. So I bless you in Jesus' name. God, I pray that your people's eyes would be opened to the light of glory of Christ in their life. That they would no longer see their nakedness and they would receive the mind of Christ the word of God says that you have. they have. They, they can see how they're justified before God Almighty. And as, as the blood works and flows, that right now they can be no more righteous, no more holy before you than Jesus himself is. That, 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 that this idea that they've got to go farther and be, that they are right now where they're at, there is no greater form of righteousness available to them. They are as righteous as they ever will be by faith. That they can be no more right with God than they are right now by faith in the blood of Jesus. And when the enemy comes and tries to steal and kill and destroy, that by faith we would forsake Pharaoh's house. So Lord, we just pray for your identity to rise inside of them. And that as you begin to move inside of their midst and their hearts, that you begin to free them from mindsets and thoughts and, and sickness and disease. Those of you who have been waiting for a healing in your body, I just, ask, I just ask you to put your hand on wherever wherever it is you're believing for right now. Just put your hand on it right now. Whether it's in your back or, or, or your stomach or your ankles or your knees, just put your hands on, your, on yourself and just say, body, come into alignment with the new man. Come into alignment with the new man. I am made in the righteousness of Christ and this thing inside of me is an assault against the nature of the King. I am healed and I am righteous and I am holy and I believe it, God, because you don't make junk. You made me new in Christ and I am a priest after the order of Melchizedek and I thank you God that I'm healed and I thank you God I'm delivered. I thank you God that pain is, is leaving my body. And Father, I stand on your truth and your blood. And I thank you that I don't have to perform to be good enough to be healed. That this thing works because it worked on the cross. And the spirit of sickness and disease fall off the church of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We thank you, Lord. We rejoice in the healing power of the gospel. That word means, that's go, that salvation where it means the word so-so, which means health and healing, body, soul, and spirit. Not just being saved in your spirit, man, but complete restoration to your body. We thank you, Lord.